The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is TNT Radio, and this is my first day weekday news, and it is an honor and a privilege. And I recently wrote and recorded as a video this brief reflection on President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated 60 years ago this week. And this is called JFK, Love and Fun for the Mad and the Scared. John F. Kennedy stood for us. What they did to him, they're doing to us. We must believe no authority but love. Government officials can't be trusted. Their crimes are too well documented. Their control by malignant powers is too obvious. Since Kennedy, the forces of oligarchy and empire have bombarded us with reasons to be like them, hating and fearing and using and abusing. We must conform not to them, but to love, which is reality. To serve reality, which is love, is to be sane. We can think and talk about love and fun no matter what, especially when we try to solve problems. We can give nothing but love and fun to ourselves and to everyone else. Some will scoff, but many will love the love and fun that you are when you're with them. Many books describe Kennedy's greatness and show us the forces that killed him and why. Those forces do horrible things to people they consider others. There are no others. There's only one infinite love and consciousness appearing to ourself as one among many. We love ourselves when we love any other. We hate ourselves when we hate any other. Such is the power of our intention, which is a big aha, which gives us great hope, which we can share with the mad and the scared and the sad. Recent books about JFK that are great. An Encounter with Evil, The Abraham's Abruder Story by Jacob Hornberger. America's Last President, What the World Lost When It Lost, J. John F. Kennedy by Monica Wiesack. And Battling Wall Street, The Kennedy Presidency by Donald Gibson. Encounter shows you the national security state we became after World War II, the military-industrial behemoths that served corporate and financial powers that hated Kennedy because he worked for peace and progress for all. He wanted everyone, here in America and around the world, to be able to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America's last president, describes the great things that Kennedy was doing and the great results he was causing. 
the great hope he was inspiring. But Battling Wall Street is the one I'll recommend if you're going to read just one. You'll see the running battle between freedom and those who would be king, those who want empire, domination and exploitation, masters and slaves, globalism. You'll see the antidote, which Kennedy was implementing, which saved us in America a number of times and helped transform the world and which can save us again. Alexander Hamilton's American system of economics. And you'll be relieved to discover it has ever been thus. Today's weapons are simply more advanced. Things are coming to a head here late in 2023. In November, near the 20th anniversary of Kennedy's assassination, no one can, can avoid the choice, love or suffer, love or die. No one can avoid the responsibility of restoring and defending freedom or accepting more constraints on smaller and sicker lives. If you read all three of those books, you will spot liars and ignorant people as soon as they open their mouths, and you will swell with the desire to be good and do good things. Kennedy was a blade of grass that pushed up through the pavement. We, too, can push up through lies and fear and dogma and worry and hatred and fighting and enjoy the fresh air of love. Long or short, our lives are ours to enjoy the only way possible by serving reality, which is love. By seeing that we only have what we give ourselves and others in thought, word, and deed. Nobody rules us but ourselves don't be a tyrant don't be a coward love then see how things transform see how you transform protect yourself with love empower and bless all others with love as Kennedy said when he ended his inaugural address, with a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. To see the love and encouragement I'm trying to give the world, go to brucetotaurus.com. To see what I email people, go to brucetotaurus.substack.com and subscribe if you'd like. There's a small book publisher called Trinday Publishing run by Chris Milligan. And I had the honor of having my one and only book so far being published by Trine Day. My book is God, School, 9-11, and JFK, The Lies That Are Killing Us 
and the truth that sets us free. Learn all about it at my site, brucetotoris.com. Chris said, you got a good voice, and Oliver Stone said, I should do a podcast. I said, I'd love to help you with a podcast, because I had such experience. And then I started doing other things for him, ads for books and creating artwork. And then he started sending me checks. So for the last three years, I've basically been Trinday Marketing's, uh, Trinday Publishing's mar marketing director. And podcast number 132 was with Daniel Hopsicker, the late, great Daniel Hopsicker. And it's called Gangster Planet, which is the title of Daniel's next book. And also I call it, that's our home sweet home, Gangster Planet. And in this episode, I'm like the Ed McMahon on the show. Chris interviews the guest and I kibitz. And then I edit it and I get it up online. And Chris and Daniel, who is the author of Barry and the Boys and also Welcome to Terrorland, they talked about how every intelligence agency on the planet, including the CIA, traffics drugs to make big money. And they also talked about the drug smuggling that Daniel discovered, which the mainstream won't report at Huffman Aviation Flight School in Florida, where 9-11 quote-unquote hijackers trained. And they also talked about Daniel's upcoming book to be published posthumously. Uh, that was that, that Gangster Planet, which will be available probably springtime, 2024. So here's some uh, snippets of their, their dialogue that I transcribed. Chris, anything happening with CIA drugs? Daniel, well, yeah, there's always something happening with CIA drugs. The book's coming out, Gangster Planet. And if anything else were needed to sink Donald Trump's prospects in 2024, the book will have it. Chris, I was talking to Daniel Estelin the other day, the author of the best-selling The Bilderberg Group. I was talking to Daniel Estelin the other day, Chris said. And I mentioned the importation of narcotics by intelligence agencies. And he said, every intelligence agency on the planet now does it. They learned from the CIA that it's a way to raise big money. Daniel Hopsicker, in every country on the planet in which there is a significant illicit drug market, the people who control it are the same people who control the country. That's a large pot of loot, and none of us get to sh get a share of it, and we don't get to say where it goes. Chris, I'll never forget coming home from Portland State. I drive into the driveway, and my dad's standing against the house. I get out of the car, and I look at my dad, and he says, Well, you know, they're out to opiate your whole generation. I told him, well, I don't see that stuff. I don't look for it. I just smoke some pot. And then he, Chris's dad, said, I don't care. You're still making money for them. A word about Chris's dad. I, I'll tell you at the end of this, because maybe he mentions it in, the, in this transcript. So that's what Chris's dad told Chris. And Chris asked Daniel Hopsicker, how much corruption does the drug trade create? Daniel. It creates enough to continue to propagate itself year in, year out. Sometimes it's very visible. 
Sometimes it recedes into the background. My understanding is that there's more cocaine being consumed today than even back in the days when it was considered an epidemic, back in the cocaine-fueled 1980s, when there was much talk about it. In the 90s, there was even more cocaine, but it was no longer in the news every day. Chris, now you've got these boats come in with, what, 20 tons and more? Huge amounts. Daniel, organized crime, I think of as a candy store in Brooklyn that does a little loan sharking and every once in a while sells things that fell off the back of a truck. Transnational organized crime, which is what we have now, is a three-block-long container ship owned by the mafia that drops off 19 tons of cocaine in Philadelphia and then goes back for more. The audio got choppy. He continued, it's a global distribution system that's probably more effective than Procter & Gamble. Chris Milligan, they really obfuscate who owns these things because you start looking at them and you see some Chinese people, you see some Switzerland folks, you see some Italian folk. You see some Balkan folk. Transnational is obviously correct there, Daniel. Daniel, I think of the dual loyalties it creates. Here's an example. Two weeks after two of the accused 9-11 hijackers arrived in Venice, Florida to attend Huffman Aviation Flight School, the owner of the school, a supposed insurance uh, executive, had his Learjet busted on a runway at Orlando Executive Airport with 43 pounds of heroin on board. 43 pounds of heroin is what's known in the trade as heavy weight. Nobody stumbles upon 43 pounds of heroin by mistake. And Chris said, and these trips were happening weekly, and you've been the only person talking about it. What are some of the excuses you get from quote-unquote journalists as to why they won't cover it? Daniel, I don't get any excuses. It's just understood that the knowledge I have is verboten and outside the realm of any journalist. It's a verboten and outside the realm of any journalist that wants to progress in journalism. That's just the way it is. In defense of our country, they don't kill you. They don't have to kill you. They're able to keep anything I find out from reaching any sort of audience that would be able to make an issue of it. This is Daniel Hobsicker talking. So I'm grateful to be alive, and I'm grateful that they don't have to kill you. Chris, you've been shoved off into a corner. It's really sad. Daniel, I remember when the author of the last big book about 9-11 came down to Venice, Florida to spend time with me spent a whole month, and yet nothing I told him made it into the book, not even the things he was able to verify for himself. Chris, this is Anthony Summers, right? Daniel, that's right. Chris, so what does that mean that he didn't report anything that you showed him? Daniel, that he's a careerist first and a reporter second. Isn't that the way most people are? 
I always thought that if you got into a subject area that was liable to expose official wrongdoing, that you had a sacred responsibility to tell the truth. We're going to have more after this short break. And this is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Homeland Security was built with an emphasis of protecting this country. What it's turned into under the Obama years is the targets of terrorists coming into the U.S. after 9-11 were switched. The targets now are the good American people. Anybody that's God-loving or if you go to a school board and you happen to say, hey, I don't want my kids being pushed pornography in the school. This stuff's being pushed on our children and people that went to these school boards and said something they're being targeted by this government this obama Biden government same with catholic church people that have gone to these uh, abortion clinics and prayed they have been targeted one individual uh, had a, a large family one morning on a saturday morning they attacked his house uh, the fbi and police gamner knocked down his door parted him away and his, his crime was that he was praying at abortion clinics basically that's who's being targeted by this biden obama regime joe hoft on tnt radio the Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7. Your news talk giant. TNT. This is Bruce Latouris, proud to introduce Peter Roth, the um, Newsweek contributing editor who writes about U.S. politics in all its forms. A former columnist for U.S. News and World Report and senior political writer for United Press International, UPI. Peter is a frequent guest on U.S. and international media platforms talking about the issues of the day. In addition to Newsweek, he writes regularly for The Daily Caller, The Kegel Syndicate, and he's a regular guest on Ben Stein's podcast, The World According to Ben Stein. And I'm most intrigued to discuss the latest developments in the U.S. economy and the petrodollar. Peter, how are you today? I'm just fine, and I'll answer to anything. <laughs> you may have to no um <laughs> not before, for anything but i answer i will answer to me well tis the season um yes. whatever that means peter i'm intrigued um you could you know you could tell me right right off the bat what is most urgent we don't have you know we don't have a, a huge amount of time but i would love to to hear what you could tell me succinctly even maybe how you got into the career of journalism? What what was it, and how old were you? And then we can get right into you know current events. I used to do politics for a living. Um, I trained people on how to run for office. I used to do work in the in the public policy issue sector. Uh, I got burned out on it and decided that the only other thing I could do, uh, other than you know stocking shelves at the supermarket was to try and explain to people what it was that was going on. 
And I like to think that I come at it from having done it, I come at it from a different perspective of people who started covering politics as a local government reporter on a, on a small newspaper and worked themselves up to the elite media or to a mainstream legacy television news channel. Uh, so that's, that's sort of how it happened and why. Well, your, uh, you know, your insights into the U.S. economy, the petrodollar, um, I've long had the impression that our economy in America and also the world's economy is stretched like a balloon to such an extreme tension of a breaking point that I try to remember every day to be braced for anything, but very, very factually nuts and bolts, you know, what, what can you tell me about the economy, the United States economy? And what's going on with the petrodollar? Well, where we are now, I think, sort of argues against your um, your metaphor. Um, we are we are close to full employment. The market's running well. Mortgage interest rates have dropped a little bit, and the inflationary spike appears to have arrested. Um, largely because energy prices are down. Now, whether energy prices are down because production is up or because demand is down is something that people are still trying to figure out because they weren't expecting that to happen in, in the last month. But the fact that the economy is as strong as it is, given that for about a year, most of America's businesses and industries were locked down under COVID is, is something that, that we all have to pay attention to. Joe Biden came into office with a fundamentally strong economy coming out of the lockdowns. The jobs Trump created were coming back. Biden's claiming credit for having created them. He did no such thing. Um, the accurate measure of Biden's work as a job creator is where were we before the lockdowns and where are we now? And we're at about the same, which means that Biden hasn't created any new jobs. Things could continue to improve, or they could go south very quickly, particularly if something happens as a result of the Israeli-Gaza war that results in a spike of oil prices, like the Iranians decide to mine the Strait of Hormuz. And we are watching that perilously, I want to say. And what... What is your impression of the impact? Because this is one of my hobby horses, Peter. How much of our economy, unless unless you're you can teach me more, that's what I'm going to ask you for, Peter. I want you to teach me more about the petrodollar's role today in this in the strength of the American economy and the world economy. And how scared I should be from my daily feeds trying to scare me about taking us off the dollar if if we're not already off the dollar worldwide. And looming on the horizon is the, the invasion of digital and central bank uh, digital currencies, those kinds of things. Well, I mean, first of all, we're not off the dollar. Um, the election in Argentina proves that. The new president is going to cure the inflation by dollarizing the Argentine economy. He's going to link the Argentine peso to the dollar. The dollar is still the world's reserve currency. It will remain the world's reserve currency 
because we not only have a strong economy and a relatively stable dollar, but we have things like rule of law that guarantee that governments can't just come in and, conf and confiscate um, industries or individual fortunes, and Amer which leaves America as a safe place to put your money. Um, people may be voting with their feet when they move from blue states to red states because they don't like high taxes and high regulation, but the world's investors vote with their money when they put it in the United States instead of in China or in the countries that they're living in. There was a fascinating article um, earlier this week in, I want to say Politico, I'm not sure, about Brits who are relocating to Florida because labor, which is probably going to win the next election in Great Britain, is promising tremendous tax increases. So we're not moving off the dollar. Um, I think that cryptocurrency, even cryptocurrency that is backed up, or especially cryptocurrency that's backed up by special banks, is going to remain a niche investment for a long time. Um, part of the attractiveness that people feel towards cryptocurrency is the idea that the state doesn't know you have it and the state doesn't know what you do with it. If it's backed by the central bank, they will. That makes it less attractive to a lot of investors. Um, where we are now, I think, is at a tipping point on spending. And that's been the issue for so long. We, the United States has spent approximately $7.5 trillion in, in relief and in other kinds of spending, job-creating so-called spending, since Biden came into office since COVID. That's not sustainable. That needs to stop. It is, it is, it is going to be a rough thing. It, it, is, it is not going to be a soft landing. Um, but it is necessary in order to get the economy moving and growing. We have to leave money in the private sector. We have to stop flooding it with federal dollars. The inflation that we have suffered from since Biden came into office is a result of that money that got pumped into the economy during the lockdowns and afterwards. Too much money chasing too few goods gives you higher prices. Those higher prices are here to stay. Did I hear you or did I misinterpret you in my head? Basically saying, are we, if, how imminent or not might be the introduction of digital currency and how, and you might have to repeat yourself because I am really trying to, to listen and comprehend exactly what you're telling me, Peter, how imminent or not might be the introduction of digital money and how imminent or not might be the threat that it in some big part or even completely replaces cash. This, this is, this is my opinion and hopefully an informed opinion, but my opinion is that we are a long way off from that, if ever. I think it's. A, I think that certain people find it attractive because they think it's an easy way to make a lot of money quickly. There are certain people who find it attractive because in its purest form, there's no government in the world that knows how much you have, so they can't tax it. They don't know how you spend it, so they can't track your spending. The anonymity is exciting. 
But now you have central banks talking about issuing a Chinese digital currency or an EU digital currency or an American digital currency, which the governments will know all about. The attractiveness there is minimal. It's, it, it, it then turns digital currency into a debit card. I mean, in a sense, that's, that's what a debit card is. Instead of handing paper to a teller at a bank or a cashier at the Safeway, you're handing them a piece of plastic that is digitally moving money from your account to theirs. And how much have you seen in policies and corporate development and technology development that concerns you about what seems to be a conspiracy becoming visible that they want to push us into using digital currency? I'm not sure that that, 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 that that exists. I think that there are certain large actors on the global financial stage who think, and, and, and countries who think that um, they can make a lot of money if that happens. And there's hmm. some attractiveness. As, as, as there was in the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s with the idea that corporations were going to be able to buy and sell and trade carbon credits as a way to to reduce the production of CO2 and other so-called greenhouse gases, that they'd still be allowed to do it, but they'd have to pay a, a rent on it, and those rents would be tradable and people would make money. And that really hasn't materialized. I don't think that cryptocurrency is going to materialize in that way. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think that for financial elites and for the criminal class, for reasons that I've already explained, Cryptocurrency may be very attractive. I think for the general population of the United States and the world, the idea that your money is on the internet and you can't go take it out of the bank is a little bit scary. I I am so gratified. It reminds me how many things seem imminent or existent in reality, according to mainstream media and government pronouncements that when I personally research them, I discover there's no there there. I, and I'm really relieved. I'm going to eat my turkey with glee in two days for, to thank the possibility that so much of the fear porn that I've unfortunately seen, indicated by my questions, Peter, how scared should I be of digital currency, might be so much Y2K all over again. So thank you. Along those lines, where can I and anybody find what you may have written and published about these things, Peter? Well, um, just one more thought to, to, to ease your mind. Remember that after the 29 crash, uh, there are a lot of people who kept their money in their homes, in their mattresses, because they didn't trust banks. And it took a long time for people to get over that. The idea that they're going to put their money on the Internet um, I think there are an awful lot of people who think that's just a non-starter. But to read me, I'm in the opinion section at Newsweek.com, the big ideas section at the Daily Caller. Uh, I'm syndicated through uh, Kegel. So if your local paper doesn't take Kegel, call them and ask them to do it. And I write for a bunch of, of other options. And I'm usually there Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern with Ben Stein on the world, according to Ben Stein on Rome. Excellent. What can you tell me about um, the latest developments or how, do you feel that you've 
basically put on the table the latest developments about the U.S. economy in particular? Well, I we are we are at a at a at a point at which people are trying to sort out what happened. I think that there are some folks, some economists, are hoping that we are going to get a soft landing after the after the Biden inflation. Um, that while jokeonomics didn't quite perform the way it was intended, interest rates have stopped going up and are coming down on mortgages. Um, prices have stabilized, but they're higher. On the other hand, there's the, there's the risk of a commercial real estate crash. And there's always a risk that um, if given, given the political tools that the president will ask for tax increase, which is almost assuredly recessionary and job killing. Um, so right now we're, we're, we're at the fork in the road and we're mm. going to take it. We just don't know whether we're going to take the left time or the right time. Yogi Berra would be proud of you, Peter. And commercial real estate being the, the bubble, is that the most dangerous imminent threat to... Uh, oh, I'm not in the business of predicting what I think is the most imminent threat. I don't. I wouldn't want anybody to take um, take my advice about politics, but don't take my advice about how to invest your money. I hire somebody is, to do it. Okay. For me. All right. Is the uh, what? What is it about the commercial real estate market that has the uh, earmarks of a potential crash to you? Uh, it's the it's the lockdown recovery. People, you know, WeWork, mm. which was at one point the IPO star. Um, is I think in bankruptcy or is prepared to declare bankruptcy. Um, people are not going back to cube farms. They are resisting being asked to go back to work. There's certainly a huge problem in the federal government in getting federal employees to come back to work. Um, you're also seeing large operations like Goldman Sachs relocating people out of Manhattan to Florida, to Palm Beach, where, they, where many of their clients are, but it's creating vacuums and emptiness in commercial real estate, which you can't fill up like you can um, residential real estates in big cities by people buying and renting out, subletting apartments, ghost ownership. You've got a lot of empty office space out there and a lot of mortgages that are low mortgages that are coming due, that are going to have to be refinanced at a higher rate. And so there are a lot of people sitting around going, hmm, What's going to happen? One of the things that we're starting to see in Washington, D.C., that I think many urban centers in the United States will experience. Peter, is can you can you tell can you tell me that in 10 seconds? Yes, it's the conversion of commercial space to residential space, office buildings oh. becoming apartments. Peter Roth, I want to thank you, contributing editor for uh, former columnist for U.S. News and World Report. Where's the main platform people can follow you, Peter? Newsweek.com. And I'm the Roth Draft on social media. This has been a pleasure, and I really look forward to talking to Thank you, you again. I, I've enjoyed We're, talking with you. Thank you so much, and we'll be back after a short break. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, Think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by one million 
moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which featured transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families and customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is Bruce DeTorres on TNT Radio and with me is Joe Hoft who not only has his own show on TNT, but he has written extensively about the 2020 U.S. election fraud. He's an author and a contributor at the Gateway Pundit alongside his twin brother, Jim, the founder. And Joe was previously an international corporate executive in Hong Kong for a Fortune 500 company for nearly a decade. He has presented at corporate board and audit committees in numerous countries across the globe and has overseen the financial reporting on multi-million and billion dollar global entities. He's written five books to date, including his most recent, The Steel, Volume Two, The Impossible Occurs, about the 2020 election. Joe is a regular guest on news shows across numerous media outlets, and he has interviewed the top conservatives in the world today, including President Trump. It is an Honor to have a conversation with you, Joe. How are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me on. It's it's, it's a pleasure. I think I want to uh, ask you to jump right into either your new book, Volume 2 of The Steel, or the status of election fraud uh, in the news, or how much they might be synonymous. You tell me, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, there's just so much to share. It's it's unbelievable. So I, I actually now have just recently, sorry to sorry to uh, to note this, but I came out with a new book even on the Steel Volume Three, which is the cover up. And so um, my first book on the Steel was setting the stage. It was about what happened before the election. Looking back with hindsight, we could see all these clues that this thing was going to be stolen. There was there was big tech, big media. Uh, all sorts of things. One thing I, I, I really uh, talk about a lot in that first volume, and I share it in the other volumes, is the fact that Trump had 1.1 million people at his rallies in 2020. And nobody's refuted me on those numbers. I've, I've gone through and ex- used an Excel file. I'm a, as you know, I'm an accountant, CPA, and, and you know that's kind of 
fun stuff for me. And I kept track of all these rallies. Trump had, you know, over a million. Now, some of these places were fields in Pennsylvania with 60,000 people. It's amazing the turnout he was getting. People could resonate with a billionaire. The common man could resonate with this guy. Joe Biden at the same time had less than 2,000 people. If you recall, he had circles on some of the floors. Even in fields, he'd have a circle in the grass. It was it was lunacy. And um, somehow we're supposed to believe then eventually that Joe Biden sets the record with the most votes ever by far, by 10, 12 million and uh, gets 81 million. It just didn't make sense. And President Trump did shatter the record, which did make sense. He had the biggest crowds we've ever seen in U.S. politics, biggest. And so um, that was one piece in the first book. The second book is where I do the, the, the impossible occurs. And I go through each one of these various areas. And, and at the end, using you know my auditing skill sets for, that I've used for years around the world, it, it came, I came to this conclusion. The election never should have been certified. And that's why it was stolen. Over and over again, there was abundant evidence to, to not certify this election. We wouldn't do this in the corporate world. We could not do it. We'd be we'd be fired, and and the corporations would be in great jeopardy if we certified some of the things that we certified in this election. So I go through this battery of evidence in the second book, and now this third book I've come out with is on the cover up, and how after the election nobody was there for us. We had the uh, law enforcement turn the other way. For example, they there was uh, people in in Philadelphia that uh, they wouldn't let us in there to see what's going on at all. They manufactured. Two million ballots in Philadelphia alone, and I and I and I've got a senior actuary that helped me, and we put together an analysis of these absentee ballots, which were manufactured after the election in Pennsylvania. There was a pattern to them. What they did is they took these and smoothly allocate them across the state to all these various counties. Every county got a certain amount, and it all was a smooth, but it was smooth, which doesn't make sense in the real world. That it should have been random. And so um, you could see there was evidence for this even. What's going on here? But we couldn't see what was going on. And in the corporate world, you'd never certify anything if you didn't have full transparency. You just can't. And so um, we go through that, law enforcement, the, the Republican legislatures. There was two or three people in every legislature weren't going to do anything. So they hammered Rudy like his efforts were worthless. Now his efforts were great. He had a thousand affidavits. I've talked to him and he's told me that. One, uh, you know, two, three Republicans were enough not to not to win win their case in the legislatures. And then we had Sidney Powell go in front of these courts and three out of the four courts in these big cases were Obama judges. They didn't even read her cases. They just came out with these uh, verdicts. No, we're not going to you don't have standing and criticized her and made fun of her. And even later, I went after her law license for raising these these obvious uh, lawsuits. And then. And then finally, there was January 6th, this Hail Mary pass, and Mike Pence totally, in my opinion, dropped the ball. He had every duty to step in and say, hey, these results aren't certifiable, and he didn't do so. And, and then there's now all sorts of evidence. You talk about bring this forward, Bruce. There's all this evidence now that's coming out over the weekend, more video coming out from January 6th where we see it wasn't a wild, ravenous crowd that was rioting and committing an insurrection. There was nobody there with a gun. The only person we know there with a gun was a Fed because they he was on the most wanted list and he suddenly dropped off and nothing happened to this guy. The only guy that we have a video of with a gun at the uh, Capitol. And um, so all sorts of evidence against yeah. um, against all of this. And it's been a it's been a nightmare for the American people.
Joe, tell me if you can and will. Well, for instance, picking up on the affidavits, I think you said thousands of affidavits, right? Yeah, a thousand, at least more than a thousand that Rudy had alone. From more than one state. Right. Multiple right. states. Right. And this is an affidavit to remind every adult who needs to know this is is sworn testimony that gets typed up and signed and it's it's uh, punishable for perjury if found to be an intentional lie what's the typical revelation or discovery or statement on these affidavits mm. well here's a i'll give you three for example there's three individuals in georgia after the election that were there for the recount so there was a recount and uh, by the by the way there's all sorts of shenanigans with this recount in atlanta and in fulton county but these guys when they were looking recounting the ballots which is all they could do is recount they couldn't assess the quality of the ballots or anything like that they said hey all of these are 140,000 are appear to be carbon copies they're not in they're not on the right paper and they're all for joe biden oxes of just ballots for joe biden three people signed affidavits stating that three people and so that that went to a court case and it's uh and they sued uh Fulton County to be able to look at these more thoroughly to audit these ballots they uh in turn that went all the way to the to the Georgia Supreme Court uh the the first judge said no standing the appellate court no standing now the Supreme Court steps in in Georgia they say no you have standing if you're if your government is committing crimes you have standing so it's now supposed to go back to the appellate court and back to the lowest court where these individuals named voter GA, friend of mine, Garland Favorito, could can look at these ballots and assess them. And instead, it's been stuck at the appellate court now for a year. It was Christmas last year that the Supreme Court in Georgia said you can look at these and they've stuck it right at the appellate court and they're not moving it down. But that's so, an example. Three affidavits. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. We, we've got plenty of time for more questions, but please, I'd love to get in sometimes early. Where can and should people follow you? Yeah, so you can reach me here at TNT Radio. I have a show here uh, daily now. It's at 10 in the morning Eastern time, uh, U.S., and I have a one-hour show. And then I, you can reach me at joehoft.com, and it's a new site that I set up where I can share my shows, my interviews, as well as thoughts and and posts and 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 up-to-date information so that's best mm -hmm. place to reach me because you can actually contact me through that vehicle mm -hmm. well as well at joehoff.com so and learn all way. about your thank you and learn all about your books yeah absolutely absolutely because I, yeah. I i i will be buying them because on my list of things to study it's it's the 2020 election and it's also january 6th i have not done the deep dives yeah. into those things that i know they're screaming for i want right. you to tell me what what do you see now as the trustworthiness of american elections either at the state and or at the federal levels um i think they're broken and unless we get these things fixed we're, we're gonna see same thing happen again it's going to be more obvious next election because we're aware of it for first of all and because uh because joe biden's just going downhill nobody his policies everything is just horrible american people are not behind this guy he can't even hardly walk and so and and and, and so we've wondered for 
the whole time who's running the running the show. So no, our systems are broke though. And uh, there's even new systems that have come out. And I mentioned this in my last book, new election systems that are the new and improved systems. And um, those are things we've had to tackle. None of them are in compliance with our laws, with the HAVA Act, et cetera. We've got to bring these to the forefront. I've actually, by the way, Bruce started a group where there's about 30 of us, some super professionals, and we are getting together on a weekly basis and, and we're trying to map out our election process, which is quite an event now with all this stuff coming in every which way. Every state is even different, even counties within states. But we're trying to map this out and identify where are the uh, big controls that aren't in place and, and address not just the compliance issues, but the, the process issues and determine how can we fill those holes that are there right now if we can. And our solution might be, hey, we can't do this. We cannot have a free and fair and transparent election. And that's, you know, that may be our conclusion. We we named our group FATE 2024 for for fair and transparent elections 2024. And um, yeah, we're looking for help as well. And when you uh, say when you say the new Thank you. When you say the, these new election systems, that includes the technology, electronic voting machines, and all the processes of the different states. Or it's you're not just talking about machines, are you? It's even more than that. It's there's some new systems, and again, I write about it in my books. You'll see in the third book where I start jumping into this. This is stuff people aren't even Republican Party isn't even aware of. They're so far behind, as always. But there's new systems that, for example. You can automatically upload uh, names into voter registration uh, roles, voter roles. You can automatically uh, post donations for individuals. And we're seeing that there's millions of donations out there that are small dollar that are somehow making it to the Democrat Party. And even to some Republicans, this doesn't look, it, it looks illegal. It looks like money laundry. We, and, and I believe that's happening through these new systems. There's a there's a there's a module that is print on demand. So election night, if you don't have you need to print some ballots, you can use this module and print those ballots. Uh, there's another module that'll tell you where you stand on election night. So if you're behind, you print some ballots, shove them in. If you don't have enough people in the voter roll, you add some people to the voter roll. And this system, these systems are available now throughout the U.S. It's it's an it's a nightmarish scenario, and it's getting Dude. worse. Do these systems, are they sold to the users as safe and secure or are they, oh, or sure. are you exposing? Oh no. Okay. So that you're not exposing systems you've discovered that sound so porous and hackable, right? These are the, supposedly well, we are, the we, we, well, these things have been, they've been selling these to various states. There's like these state ah. systems now across the U S as safe and nobody's secure talking about them. Right. Yeah, safe, safe and secure. secure. But have you yeah. found actual evidence or examination of them that proves their hackability? Well, the thing that we do have is this technology that they, like, like I said, they have technology they are selling where they will tell you on election night where you stand in an election. Now, we're not getting that information from the media, but you can buy this module through these companies. And and the, these they also have these print-on-demand modules. So it, we can't say, hey, we caught these guys in an act. We can only say, hey, there is the ability now to do all this stuff through right. one system sitting in your living room. So these are... I was just going to ask, who are they selling these systems to? I would have assumed, yeah. well, it's the election boards and it's the agencies that supposedly supervise elections, but who can buy them? 
Yeah, right now, for example, I've seen a uh, purchase order related to Pennsylvania. So it's funny, in 2020, after the election, as we're trying to go through these corrupted results where we had 2 million ballots loaded and, and into the voter, into the, into the, as votes after the election, while we're looking at that, they're writing a contract with this company called BPRO, which is going to provide them now with this new service. It, it's, it was happening as soon as the election was over. Some states already had it in place, like New Mexico. So Are these new seeing, systems? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go, well, I could tell you one thing. You, you, you ask about uh, illegalities. In New Mexico, this system is used. The data comes in through Dominion machines. It then goes through this new system called Total Vote. That data then is sent to the uh, to the governor to the Secretary of State's office. Then it's sent back to the local counties, and the data that's sent back go overwrites what was in the Dominion machines, and that is the final data that's used in the final vote. So the data goes up and back, and that's against the law in New Mexico. The law says it should go from precinct to county to Secretary of State. So this is happening now. And we, I tell you what, you, you, this last book, you're going to see there's all sorts of stuff that was corrupted, and and nobody did anything. People looked the other way. I don't know if it was yeah. fear, ignorance, or what, but or the perfect plan. But that's what happened in 2020, and, and we need to stop that in 2024. You know, from big picture stuff, because we are going to approach our last few minutes, Joe. Just big picture stuff. It implies not only the corruption and. and Plausibly, uh, the entire failure of the elector, the electing, the election system from being trustworthy, but it also indicates a failure of the judicial system, the the law enforcement, like you were saying, like you said earlier, absolutely to 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 go after this, to to clean it up, and to help us, you know, solve it. And finally, this when you described fate twenty four dot com, yeah. It was, I think, in the context of a really bleak scenario. And I remembered the quote from the philosopher Nietzsche, Amor Fate, we have to love our fate, which means that even in the worst case scenario, and now I'm just, you know, confessing, you know, my inner evaluations. If if grids go down, if we become like really really savage you know and and there's a real breakdown in just civilization i want to be the calmest man in the foxhole you know i want to keep my head while all those around me yeah. might be losing theirs and i want yeah. to remember the odds were thus in the 1770s when those who first created america created america in our last 30 40 seconds joe repeat or add embellish what do people need to know about where to follow you? JoeHoft.com yeah. and what else? Yeah, JoeHoft.com is probably the place. I'm also writing at Gateway Pundit still periodically posts going up there. But uh, yeah, Fate 2024, we'll be setting up some more information on that Thank coming you. out. We're Thank you so to much, save this Joe. Country. Yeah, Thank you. And your, and your book, The, uh, the Steel, in volumes one, two, and three. This is TNT yeah. Radio.